0: I first I want to tell you about something that happened to me last weekend. Uh, last weekend I went with my youngest son. He's eight, and we went to Universal Studios. And uh, as part, it's been fun. We got a pass this year, so trying to make the most of our pass and go there as often as possible. It's pretty good. I um, don't really enjoy butter beer, um, but uh, I, I'll tell you one other thing I don't totally enjoy. Um, I went for the first and last time on the Harry Potter ride there, and um, uh, it is probably really exciting for some people to ride that ride. It was not just exciting for me. I spent the whole time thinking, I don't want to be here. Uh, and also, keep your lunch inside. So those were both of those things, good news. It did not continue forever, and I did keep my lunch inside, so praise the Lord for that. Um, But as the whole thing went on, I mean, my head still spun for a little while afterwards. Even my eight-year-old, he said, there was that one part that was a little bit smutch for me, okay? So if he can even get his stomach to turn, you know it's quite a lot. Well, the thing that was my consolation while it was going on was I know modern rides can't go longer than five minutes, right? This thing is, there is a time limit on this. So once it started and it kind of immediately was making my head spin, I thought this can't last longer than a few minutes. I just need to hold in there and it'll all be over afterwards and we can go move somewhere else I can sit in the air conditioning for a little while. So I was looking forward to the air conditioning that I knew was coming for me. That was the promise. And what we're going to see today in our scripture that we're going to look at is that God's word also promises us that no matter how difficult circumstances may be, whatever we may be going through, it might not just even be a season for us. It may be something that's happening over years and years. There can be something that we can look forward to when we know that it is going to be over, that God promises a victory that will not only be a victory at the moment, but it's actually going to heal what happened previous to that, and that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, join with me in prayer as we as we prepare to get into God's word. Lord, we ask you to help us to understand your word today. Something that was an old document, but that uh, it meant a lot to the people then, and we ask you to help us to understand what it might mean for us today. People in our world, in our circumstances, with our difficulties, we ask you, God, to, to help guide us and, and teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope it has been meaningful for you to read along with us in Isaiah. Uh, if you did read, not everybody is doing that, but if you we're reading through the prophets right now, and we are on the book of Isaiah. Uh, if you are, are new, it's okay. You don't have to have read it ahead of time or anything like that, but if you if you did read with us this last week, you maybe noticed that it was a little bit darker than it had been the previous week. Uh, there, um, the first First few days readings actually were um, uh, talking about these, um, these spoken oracles against different countries that surrounded God's people at the time. And, and the picture that we were left with, that, that we come away with, is this image kind of of this boa constrictor that has circled around the people and is starting to squeeze. And the, the people are starting to feel really squeezed by that. But what God says is that those other nations aren't going to be powerful forever, but the powerful are going to be brought low, and what is humble is going to be lifted up. And there's image of judgment in there. And we said last week in Isaiah 6 that God is allowing for us to see behind the scenes. That was what we saw in Isaiah 6. Uh, In this week's reading, we have uh, even more that's being revealed to us, that's shown to us from that, and this revelation of how things are going to play out. And it portrays, actually it portrays this future judgment as good news for people, which is surprising. It says in uh, Isaiah 24, 21, in that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings in the earth below. Uh, I I think in our modern world, we kind of recoil from the idea of judgment. And I understand that we certainly don't like judgy language. We don't want that. But if you are the person who is being oppressed, then you're going to see some kind of just judgment as being good news. Uh, If you think about somebody who's getting picked on on the playground, when the teacher appears, that's actually good news for you because hopefully it means it's going to end. It's good news to see that uh, that person coming. So for the people who feel like it's always the bad guys who are getting ahead, if you feel like the world is unjust and, and nobody seems to be held accountable, nothing is going to be made right, then what we have here is that God is just, and God is going to make things right. So, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Isaiah 25. If you have your uh, Immerse book, it's on page 97, is where we're going to be, to be looking. So, Isaiah 25. And what we're going to do today is, I'm, I'm just going to go, instead of reading through the whole passage, I'm just going to go bit by bit, uh, and that's, that's how we're going to get at this. So if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that one of the things we said is that the primary job description of a prophet wasn't that they were looking to the future, but they were a, a watchman. The primary job of a prophet was to be a watchman, somebody who's looking out to see what's happening and to say to the people and warn them, hey, there's danger up ahead. And that is, still remains the main thing that a prophet does. Well, in this week's readings, <laughs> the, the majority of the texts are warnings, and it's a, it is still a challenge to faith. That's still the main theme of what is there. It's supposed to be a challenge to faith. But the text in Isaiah 25 does look ahead to the future. I don't want you to say, look, Kurt, look, see, this one does. But it does look ahead to the future. But, but we have to remember the, the why. Why is it there? It looks forward to the future, but he's speaking to a people who were in the midst of difficulty, so it was meant to be an encouragement to them there, not just something that would be off in the future, but meaningful for them to hear that there was, that God was going to be victorious. So this text can be hopefully a way for us and our week this week to even be able to say God is going to be victorious, and and before before we forget about what's happening in our daily life, or we're not supposed to just leave things behind, but in the midst of our circumstances, we can also see that God is, is, is not done with his project. So it was written originally to this group of people in a specific time and place, and they, they needed to know that God was going to be victorious, and that, that was supposed to give them some perspective, some circumstance, or some, some perspective, On their circumstances like me on the Harry Potter ride uh, it's supposed to help us to see beyond the moment so uh, it's last week we said Isaiah had this big vision of God high and lifted up so much bigger than what he had even imagined breaking out of the box that Isaiah and that we had put him in but Isaiah wasn't just wowed by God when he had a glimpse of God he felt undone says he says some translations he says, woe is me, or he says, oh no, the, oh no. Uh, he, so, woe to me. And in God's presence, he felt this chasm between himself and God. And then you see God's mercy in that too. At the same moment, God provides grace and, and, uh, and a means for purifying Isaiah before he was sent out on his mission. So, it, last week's passage changed the way that Isaiah saw God and even saw himself in his circumstances the way he perceived himself and this week's passage is about this future complete victory of God and it's supposed to change not just how they see themselves but how they see their present circumstances they they were in a time when they were feeling surrounded they're feeling oppressed and the world seemed like it was falling apart so if Isaiah 6 tells us God is on his throne God is still in charge, even if life feels tumultuous. And then Isaiah 26 teaches us that even if the present is difficult, God is going to see his victory through to the end. And his victory is a lot better than than human victory. That's the thing that's wonderful. It's not just that he's going to win. He's going to win his enemies over to himself. All right, let's start reading some of this passage. Isaiah 25, 1 to 9. Oh, Lord i will honor and praise your name for you are god i I hear him saying hey i want to honor you as being important just like you actually really are i kind of want to see you for who you really are to recognize for as important as you are and i want my heart to praise you for that Uh, that term god's name i'm going to praise your name god's name in scripture is uh, kind of bible shorthand for god's character all of who he is i want to recognize god for who god is it's the it's it was so important that even saying his name was to kind of invoke the power of god in a circumstance to be able to say god's name and to remember who he is so isaiah i think he's saying hey i'm going to make my life and my words show that you are important to me so you are my god why should he do that well uh, you do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you have accomplished them. Well, God has done stuff. He planned it a long time ago. And it starts off, though, with some images that are going to startle us. Verse 2, you turn mighty cities into heaps of ruins. Cities with strong walls are turned to rubble. Beautiful palaces and distant lands disappear, and they will never be rebuilt. Uh, Remember that I mentioned that the, the countries that were surrounding them were more powerful. They were squeezing them, constricting them. And those places at, at that time seemed super scary. He says there's a future where they're not going to be scary anymore. It's a little bit hard for us. I think it's extra hard for us in America to imagine this because we're the, among the most powerful countries in the world. right? We are in the most powerful country in the world and it's uh, there are, it doesn't feel the same to us. We feel very safe compared to how they would have felt at that time. But there are still things in our world that are scary to us, and um, those kind of things never seem to stop. And just to pick on somebody that's kind of easy to pick on, it just say something like, Hey, you know what? A drug cartel problem seems kind of never-ending. It seems like, how can you possibly address this problem? But maybe, he's saying, you can see a future where these compounds are destroyed, where we don't have to worry about that. Their networks are never going to be rebuilt. Or or maybe you've been touched by cancer in your life or in a loved one's life. What if Isaiah said, God has eliminated it all and it's never going to come back? Maybe take a moment to think about a looming problem in your life, something that seems intractable something that's just not going to give in. Isaiah is trying to take us to something that it seems unfixable, but that God is going to help us to imagine a future where those things are actually in our past. Because when God acts, he's going to bring down those systems, all those looming problems, those scary things, he's going to bring them down to a heap of rubble. And those things that we're afraid of now, God is going to triumph over them. Verse 3. Therefore, strong nations will declare your glory. Ruthless nations will fear you. But you are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord. A tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like a storm beating against a wall, it just gets stopped, or like the relentless heat of the desert, but you silence the roar of foreign nations as the shade of a cloud cools relentless heat, so the boastful songs of ruthless people are stilled. So because of God's action, even some of the people from amongst the scary nations are going to fear God. And in the image that Isaiah gets, people from these ruthless nations that they were afraid of before now are going to be among God worshipers. They're going to be people who actually go from being scary to something. They go from being kind of the bad guys to being people who are joining with them or even encouraging them to be people who worship God. They're part of this party of people who are celebrating God's victory. Well, among those people that are kind of the bad guys uh, is the people of Egypt. Egypt generally in scripture represents oppression. It was a place of slavery. It was, it's a power that never seemed to go down. They always had food. They always had water. Uh, they, uh, and they were kind of the bad guys of the Bible. Well, my wife Karen and I, when we lived uh, in France, we had a friend who, um, some years ago, we had a friend that we worked with, and um, she was from Egypt. Her name was her name is Sylvia, and um, as. Uh, a lovely follower of Jesus. Uh, It always kind of bothered her when she would read in Scripture, like, we're the bad guys, and Egypt is, you know, bad, or whatever. And one of the things that she used to repeat, actually, um, she she got tired kind of of hearing that they were the bad guys. She's like, we're not like that. Um, And... she would read from the the book of isaiah she would always quote this scripture is from a few chapters back it was during the reading that we just did it's from isaiah 19 and, and she would she would say um, it says this the lord of heaven's armies will say blessed be egypt my people blessed be egypt my people and it's what I, uh, isaiah is looking forward to this time when the people who are their enemies get turned into god worshipers the time uh, that that in the future there was this, it was a judgment for the people, but it was also a promise that there would be this, this remnant of people who would be God worshipers. It's, it's, uh, so it's not just judgment, but that God's people would come out of that. And she loved to quote that as often as she could, Egypt, my people. So in that we see there's redemption, there's deliverance, and it's not just for specific people. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for us. It's for the world. And, and we probably, I, I, I say our hearts can't really hear how crazy it would have been for people in that time to hear Egypt, my people. It just doesn't, it doesn't like shock our hearts in the same way as it would have the original hearers of this. And it's not just saying that God took something that was bad and made it good or something good and made it bad. He's not just flipping around the world. It is that his victory is so complete. His, his, his the way he wins wins over people that he, he's, he's so comprehensively won that he's turned what would be natural enemies into worshipers. I will say just so you know the other people that are mentioned in that same sentence that are called uh, uh, that there's going to be this reversal are the Assyrians, they were the people on the other side of Israel, they were also the scary ones and. Um, you may not know that the people, the Assyrian people that exist today, and they are almost all 100% Christian now, uh, which is, uh, it would have shocked these people then to hear that. So how would their present reality, how would their reality have changed to know that that has actually become true for us today, that there would be people from Egypt, people from Assyria, who would worship God? I think it would have changed a lot for them about how they perceived those people. And I wonder for us how that would change our present sufferings or our difficulties to know what God is going to do. Will it change our present suffering? The places where we feel powerless, God is going to be a refuge. I think we just need a, we may not know exactly how it's going to play out, but God is going to do it. So he says, all these ruthless people, they're singing their victory songs. It's really boastful. He says, God's going to stop all that gloating and he is going to turn that into songs of singing that, that rejoice, instead of rejoicing in, in injustice, will rejoice in justice. They will re- rejoice in goodness. They will rejoice in the truth. And up ahead, there's this feast. And so there's, there's these contrasting songs. There's this, the song of the ruthless that's going to be stilled, and there's now going to be this new song that's sung here. So look at verse six. In Jerusalem, or in your translation, it may say, on this hill, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast. I like that there's food, that's good. For all the people of the world, it will be a delicious banquet with clear, well aged wine and choice. Meet. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against the land, his land and people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim, This is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice. In the salvation, he brings. So we see, again, this is God's, God's judgment is actually good news for people who are oppressed. Uh, but judgment is not God's last act. It's actually only the preparation for, for what's supposed to follow. And it's this amazing picture. We're invited to a feast. And it's prepared by God himself. And it's for all peoples, people from all over the world. God knows, I appreciate that, you know, God knows that a picture of welcome for me is food. So um, there is a picture of welcome here, a beautiful spread with wine and good things to eat and people from all over the world. That sounds kind of like exactly what I want right there. That's what I want. And what they're doing is they are proclaiming together, almost singing a, a psalm of praise. In that day, people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. They're sitting there at that table and saying, this, this is our God. This is the one. We did trust in him. And look, he did it. I think sometimes we think about salvation. When we think about salvation, it's it's a word that has kind of lost some of its meaning. It's lost, if we stick with the, the feast idea, it's lost a bit of its flavor but the portrait of salvation that we have here is a lot richer and it's richer than the food that they have on the table it's more to be savored than the bottles of wine that are there before them and, and the the portrait of what god understands by salvation is throughout this passage he says in verse 5 the song of the ruthless is stilled verse 8 death is swallowed up forever also in, in verse 8 two more tears are wiped away from all faces and the people's disgrace is removed. So the the song of the ruthless is stilled. As somebody who is ruthless is somebody who acts without pity, has no compassion on other people. Uh, It's it's merciless in in its cruelty. We can think of a tyrannical leader or somebody who ruthlessly oppresses people. Uh, If you have been a victim of injustice uh, or if you feel like you're at the whim of uh, of ruthless people, uh, being released or brought out from under that is going to feel like salvation. Uh, the song of the ruthless is stilled. So God is going to eliminate that kind of oppressive move in people. And, and I, I think the world feels pretty ruthless to us a lot of times. It keeps rolling on whether we like it or not. It's like that heat from the desert. It never stops. But God is going to end that. It also says that death is swallowed up forever. So all of us in some way or another, we live kind of in the shadow of death. We've had the experience of loved ones leaving before us. Maybe we think about our own frailty, our own, um, our own limited time on earth. But he says, he will swallow up death forever. And, and look, all grieving and anger are gone because of God's touch. He will wipe away all tears from their faces. That this salvation that he brings, it looks like God's personal touch in our lives. I, I think about that, uh, there's a David Crowder song that says, um, there's, um, shoot, I, I just thought of it now, I didn't write it down. But it, uh, there, there's, there, there's, there's no, uh, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal, heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. He will wipe away the tears from all of our faces. That there's going to be a moment where the sorrows that we've experienced will actually be healed by God's own hand. And, and, there's, and look, there's nothing to be embarrassed about, nothing to hide. He says he will remove people's disgrace. That means everyone will be in a place of honor. So when we say together, we trust it in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trust it in him. Let us rejoice in his salvation. What they mean is all of that stuff. It's not just like, hey, I'm, when we talk about what salvation means, it's all these things to be freed from all of this. So, they, the people who are first hearing this book of Isaiah, they are in a pretty precarious and really difficult situation, and they are looking for God to ultimately do something. And that's the same for us, that we should be people who are looking forward to God doing his work. And I I think one of the things we can take away from this passage is when you or I say, Christ saved me, That can be a very meaningful statement or it can be a really trite statement. What we can take away from this is that it's much deeper and more meaningful than what we thought. Right now, you might be a vulnerable person, but we are ultimately safe. And anything that might oppress us, that song is going to be stilled. And and I think God is calling for us to work in that direction as well, to be people who still the song of the ruthless. That, That we don't have to be people who fear death anymore and God's going to bring healing to the parts of our life that have caused us grief or anger. God has removed anything that would keep us that would make us feel disgrace. We can walk with our head held high that we're going to be given honor in God's presence. So as a believer we hold a couple things in intention. On the one hand, we have this song that we're going to sing surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. So we just get to sing this joyous song. And on, on the other hand, we also know that life is not going to be easy right now. And we live in that tension, that we know that life is not going to be perfect and easy right now. So we can proclaim what God is doing and will do, all the while kind of still writing Harry Potter, uh, whatever your life may look like. So what you are promised is that no matter what life might throw at you, that God is is present and even death is not going to have the last word even judgment isn't the last word and if we understand that we're going to understand passages like just briefly it's going to help us understand some new testament stuff second timothy 4 the apostle paul is talking about a bunch of stuff that was going wrong and how lonely he felt and everybody had left him and it just kind of life stank and he says this timothy please come as soon as you can Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, that guy, he's gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, when you and when you come and he will be helpful for me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. We just, it's like little, little things, right? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for the Gentiles to hear, and he rescued me from certain death. And then he makes a statement that sounds like an echo of Isaiah 25 yes and the lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom all glory to god forever and ever amen and what we have to know is that paul was killed for his faith so was he wrong to believe that he would be safe no he wasn't talking about his physical safety He's looking beyond this life. He says, there's nothing they can do. God will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So at first, we might be tempted to say, well, what difference does it make then if, we, if there is this future, if I'm going to still go through difficulties now? Right now, life is hard. Right now, I'm going through this thing that doesn't change anything for right now. So life is going to continue to be difficult for us. And whatever you're facing right now is real, and it is hard. But I'm hoping that this will make a difference. And it it was meant to make a difference for the Israelites. It's meant to make a difference for us. To know that there is an end to all the evil in the world. And there is an end to whatever difficulty or evil we're facing. Whatever pain or unhealed wound there might be. There is a healing for us. And you're going to be safe in God's heavenly kingdom. And the reason that we know that is, it says, on this mountain, God will swallow up death forever. And it's important for us to know that it was on that mountain, it was just outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus gave his life for us. That Christ died. And it says specifically that he will swallow up death forever. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that, he quotes that verse, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. And death has been swallowed because God himself chose to be the one to swallow up that death for us to take it on himself he removed the cloud of gloom that it talks about it there by being the one to face it himself it wasn't just that he just kind of wipes it away but he came into the fight himself and and the crucifixion of jesus wasn't just this interesting event that might have happened in history to the life of one man the narrative of the bible tells us that it was the most important moment in the history of the cosmos and if christ was raised from the dead then that changes everything not only our faith but the faith of these people at the time everything the ruthless if jesus didn't rise from the dead then that means the ruthless win that the people who get one uh, they steal money from you if they they put one over on you then that maybe it's just the end of the story and if you die in in ignominity, then you die in shame. But if Christ did die for us, that means the songs of the ruthless are going to come to an end. It means that the song that takes over is the song of the saved. We actually have hope if he really did die and, and rose again, because that means that he swallowed up death on that mountain, just like God had promised that he's the one who tears away the veil that is over all people. We end up saying that we are saved not by our own works, but by the self-giving, humble love of our God who did what he said he was going to do. And for those of us as Christians, if we look at Christ, we see this crucified and resurrected Christ at the head of the table. And he's the one we get to look at and sing, Isaiah 25, 9. This is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. Such good news. Well, I wonder how this comprehensive picture of of salvation, about what God is doing, how can this change our circumstances this week? And in in this picture of a banquet, the, the people are able to sing their song because they trust that God has saved them. And I'm wondering what you need deliverance from this week. It might be something pretty mundane. You might be facing something pretty catastrophic. So here's our next step. I would like for you to pray this week. Go ahead and put that up. Right, I would like you to pray this week, this prayer. Right now I am facing this thing, Lord, but I trust in you and I know how the story ends. So I would like you to pray that this week. Right now I am facing this thing and bring whatever that thing is before God You can say, but Lord, I trust in you, and I know how the story ends. And I'm hoping that that reality will change our present circumstances. Because in the future, it's going to help us to love our enemies, help us to love people who don't deserve it. It'll help us have a larger view of our our problems with our neighbors or people and our our coworkers, even even for us to have a heart of generosity for people who, who we don't even know. Because I'll tell you what, the world doesn't need more cynics. If you're a person who generally sees what's real and tells it like it is, well, I'd like for you to see what's real, but believe what God is doing beyond this, because we don't need more cynics. A cynic sees what it is and says it's never going to change, and it's only going to get worse. But I hope that we can be captivated by a hopeful vision for what God is doing with this self-giving God at the center who we worship this is our God well, I hope you'll stick around with us for the next couple of weeks we have two more weeks in Isaiah uh, and uh, I think there's gonna be some other really great stuff that's in there that's going to shape our hearts I hope help us to, to see ourselves see our world in a different and bigger way maybe so let's pray Lord thank you for your word Thank you for this guy, Isaiah, who wrote down these things that happened a long time ago. And boy, I just think, there's no way that people then could have believed that Egypt and Assyria would be places where people would want to worship the God of the burning bush. I, I know that in our present circumstances, Lord, the things that we are facing, the difficult, unexplained, or maybe feel like wounds that can't be healed or fixed, we know that one day you are going to change all of that. And may that help us now as we face our difficulties, as we face our griefs, to know that you are present with us, and that one day we will be able to say, this is our God. This is the one. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you, Kurt.